Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final episode of Dame Baptiste Questions Everything. DBQE was a podcast where myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor Dame Baptiste, uh, my producer Howard Cohen, aka The Hizza, and a mix of very special guests would pose the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from, I assume, what is the biggest question on the minds and in the mouths of all of our very loyal listeners and fans, why is the podcast coming to an end? Which... I'm definitely going to get into. Um, I've got lots of reasons for that. Uh, but before that, I just want to say that if you have liked the show, thank you very much. Please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And historically, if you had, had su supported us via the Patreon and made donations, I can't thank you enough. I want to be able to shout your names. I don't have those right now, but we're going to get back to that. Um, so today... Uh, Moving on, I want to introduce my guest, who basically is the producer for the podcast today, which is George. What's up, George? Hello. George is a a great producer. So far, so good. And uh, George has been tasked with helping me do the podcast, which I'm very grateful for. And I promise that it won't be too uh, much of a task to you. I don't have a bio for George, but as far as I know, he is a producer who is wearing a denim shirt and making it look very good and very drippy and has all of his hair, which falls in amazing curls. George, are you in a relationship? Yes. Sorry, ladies, gentlemen, non-binary, single people, George is off the market, but uh, he is very good at his job. So uh, let us proceed. So I believe that uh, I want to start by basically telling the audience um, what has happened with the podcast. I think what I want to do is begin with an apology to you guys. I think that um, it's important that sometimes you take time to reflect on what you're doing in this line of work that we call creativity slash entertainment. And due to a number of things happening in my life, I've not been able to focus on that. And this podcast has gone on for over six years and has been an amazing journey where there have been a lot of plaudits. For example, you may or may not know that uh, previously, back in 2020, 2019, Pod Bible had nominated us for a podcast award for interviewing conversation, where we were listed alongside amazing people like uh, Fern Cotton and the Adam Buxton podcast. Um, at one point, also in uh, 2020, uh, on Spotify Comedy, we were at number three uh, for comedy podcasts, as well as being number 15 in top religion and spirituality podcasts, and number 24 in trending podcasts in the UK, which is fucking amazing. And I can't thank you guys enough. I'm not sure if we had time to talk about all of these plaudits, but again, I want to take the time to take in how well this podcast has done. And thank you all for listening because we couldn't have done it without you guys. Um, I also want to take the time to uh, also notify you that we were also nominated for Best Podcast at the National Comedy Awards back in uh, 2020 or maybe 2021. But that is one of the reasons why I want to apologize to you guys because I think that podcasts have massively evolved over time and they definitely uh, require 
constant interaction with the audience in order to know what we're doing, if we're doing it correctly, and how we are able to uh, continue improving the podcast. And that was something that uh, wasn't able to happen. I think uh, in the course of the six or seven years, I don't feel myself personally, I've been able to have direct interaction with you audience. Now, it might be because some of you guys are kind of shy and maybe you just want to listen to questions being asked and answered. And if that was the case, I still appreciate you guys for listening. But at the same time, I think that uh, because the theme of the podcast has always been to question everything, I definitely wanted to get feedback from you guys on how we can improve and to make sure that all the questions are asked. And I'm not sure we've been able to do that. So what I want to say is that I am not going to end contact with you as an audience. I'm going to continue to work. There are new projects coming up. And what I want to do is hear from you guys if you can't get in contact with me via the podcast email. Because to be honest with you guys, I've not really had a chance to see it. I want you all to get in touch with me on my social media. You can find me on X, formerly known as Twitter, even though it is a fucking dumpster fire right now and maybe uh, responsible for the end of civilization. But before that happens, send me a tweet either on the DBQE podcast or you can uh, tweet me directly on Dame Bap Tweets. Um, yeah. And let me know what you think, because I want to continue our relationship. I want us all to question everything, especially in the times we're living in now. Because as I've always said with this podcast, by questioning your reality, you are taking the first steps to begin to change it. Uh, if you're not a uh, X person, and for some reason you're a snowflake that has a problem with rampant misogyny, misogynoir, racism, sexism, transphobia, and you don't want to continue to support what I believe might be a motherfucking supervillain in the form of Elon Musk, and if you're questioning that, all I'm saying is he now wants volunteers to introduce a neural chip in your head after completing testing on 1,500 primates. I don't know about the rest of you, but that sounds a lot like the beginning of a Planet of the Apes film, part of the anthology. First, they put the brain chips in their head, then they become super intelligent. Then they decide that despite being 98% identical to us genetically, that we are fucking mental as a species and we need to go. And they might be blaming Elon Musk for that. Who conveniently, while he's inserting brain chips into primates, including ourselves and chimpanzees, is also saying, I think it's stupid that we as a people are only living on one planet. Which is all well and good if he didn't have a rocket that already blew up, which does not fill me with confidence that he will be leading the charge for us to colonize other planets. Also, there are a number of environmental and climatological reasons why it may not be a good idea for human beings to go to another planet, Elon. So if your question is, why are we the only people that are living on one planet? One of the reasons might be, Elon, is that we determine the amount of money you have determines your human worth, which really is counter-evolutionary. And I want to say that for a long time, and I've been able to get it off my chest. Also, he don't like he can grow facial hair. That's just fucking weird. Now, moving on from there, if you're not an ex-person, as I said, you can also contact me on Instagram. Uh, I definitely value all of your feedback. And I don't think I've had a chance to get in touch with you guys again. So please, if you can't get in touch via the podcast or via email, please send all your feedback onto Instagram because moving forward, I want to know what the audience and the fans think so that the new future projects that I'll be embarking on will be a lot better and take into account the requirements of the fans. So I want to get that out of the way first of all. Um, I also want to tell you guys what I've been doing. If your questions have been, how come we've not heard content from the podcast for so long? Um, to be honest, I've been dealing with a lot of things. Uh, I've had a lot of transition in my career. Um, you may or may not be aware that, you know, TV is not popping as much as it used to be. And that's because, you know, as a medium, it is basically waning in the wake of the rise of digital media. 
And as old as I am, I don't want to be outside of that wave. So I'm just making sure that I change my focus onto more projects, which reflects the change in the media and comedy landscape so that I don't become a dinosaur. And you guys aren't like, what the hell happened to Dane Baptiste? That guy used to be okay, but now he's just an angry, angry fossil. So please do get in touch on Instagram. Give me your feedback about some of the best parts of the podcast that you enjoyed so we can give you more content of the same. So, that being said, I also wanted to let you guys know, because I guess you are wondering what's happened as well, is that there's been a long time where there's been some changes I wanted to implement in the podcast, but I think due to commitments on both mine and Howard's side, we won't be able to bring it together for a very long time. Um, I'm also having a baby for the first time, which I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast before. So I have my first child who is going to be due in a couple of weeks, and I hope that she is able to hear this as well that I want my focus to be solely on my child and bring another human being in the world because I think for all the shit I've spoken on this podcast, I think that it's important that as parents, authoritarian and as guardians, that we are responsible for nurturing, educating and loving this next generation so that this planet does not continue to be a fucking dumpster fire. And I want to make sure that I do my bit to contribute to that. Uh, having a child is a massive commitment. I certainly am not going to make my partner do all that stuff by herself. And so I want to focus on that. Um, I'm also having some health issues within my own family as well. So I want to be a uh, source of support and love for my family, which means that the podcast, how it existed in its previous incarnation, wasn't necessarily working. Um, we looked at another um, different options, but uh, I guess that our ideas for the direction of the podcast weren't able to align at this time. And so Howard and I are going in different creative directions. And um, yeah. If you've been a fan of that duo, you can still follow us individually and give feedback to myself and Howard and let us know what you think. Um, about the band splitting up and if you want the band to get back together, well, just let us know what you think. Uh, I am all ears and I value your input. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. If your opinion is negative, however, people are also entitled to tell you to shut the fuck up. So I just want to be transparent about that as well. But essentially, the podcast is coming to an end because I think that how the podcast existed previously was very successful it was very enjoyable i've loved doing the podcast and uh, i think it reached a point how it existed that it could go as far as it could and so um as an artist i want to continue to create things which are still provocative still inclusive still innovative and distinct from what everybody else is doing in the market which given how saturated the podcast market is right now takes a lot of work to stand up so i want to take time away from that to think about my vision in terms of being a performer uh, a comedian a writer and an occasional actor so i will be focusing on that as well and on that point uh, i want to notify you guys that uh, as i am going to become a father soon i will be starting a new podcast in the new year uh, with a working title of uh, daddy dane cares and the idea of my new podcast is that I, well, I feel like I've had success in a lot of things, but being a parent isn't something that a lot of people get prior practice in doing. i got nieces and nephews, but having your own kid, I guess it just hits different. And so what I want to be able to do is have a podcast where I discuss that journey on trying to be the best dad that I can be. Uh, but I know that for me, as far as I'm concerned, it takes a village to raise a child. And so I want to be able to collaborate with other parents, other guardians, 
other authoritarians, which I think sounds kind of fucked up, authoritarian in the case of Reverend a child. But yeah, a guardian and someone that cares about kids. But I want to be able to speak to people that have the wisdom of experience so I don't fuck it up because this is probably going to be one of the most important jobs I've ever had in my entire life. And I don't like fucking things up. Um, not only that, and I wanted to know, I haven't just realized this now that I'm becoming a dad myself to a lovely baby girl. But I understand that everyone has a father, pretty much. Generally, most people have fathers or most people have a parent. And I want to talk to people who do have parents about their experiences of being a child under said parent, what things were done well, what things weren't done so well, and learn from these things so that the mistakes I do make, because inevitably no one's perfect and you will make mistakes. I don't want my mistakes to have a lasting effect on my child, who I already love very much. Because I feel that at least if I do the research now, I'm going to save on therapy and on bail money years down the line. Uh, one of the most important things is the fact that I am more than aware that we live in a world which is uh, very patriarchal. And those of you who identify as women do not have the easiest time. And a lot of the time, if you display any behavior that people do not perceive as uh, normal, people will say you have daddy issues and that is not a designation I want for my child so I'm definitely going to be calling on the amazing women that I work with both in comedy and entertainment just to find out about the experiences of being of having a dad and being a daughter to a dad and working out what I can do to make sure I am the best dad possible to a daughter and for those of my guests and for those of you who uh, may have not been able to grow up with parents or not had that privilege I definitely want to hear from you and definitely hear from you in terms of your life experiences and how you think they would have differed if you did have a dad and what you would want your ideal dad to do other than not abandon you, obviously. But um, I want to make sure that uh, I do the best job possible. And I hope those of you who do have parents who sometimes who, who are parents, I should say, don't feel isolated and don't feel like it's something you're doing yourself. And some of the issues that you may have in bringing up your children aren't things that you suffer with in silence so i want it to all be a collective experience where we can all be better people for the people that are dependent on us because if people do not have the resources to at least buy their own underwear they need all the help they can get in this world that's what i believe uh, but the whole underwear thing is probably not going to be the subtext of that podcast but please look out for daddy Dane care in the new year which is a podcast i will be doing in conjunction with Acast, like this previous podcast as well also for those of you who have uh, gotten used to hearing my voice on Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, particularly hearing me go off and talk about social and political issues in DBQs, I want to make sure that I keep that energy as well. And I'm also playing with the idea of having my own podcast, which is Citizen Dane, where as a concerned citizen, I talk about the things in the world that might concern me at the moment. And I'm also joined by other concerned citizens of the world, uh, hopefully whose religion is love so that uh, we can all work towards putting the world to rights through the medium of podcast. So suffice to say, just based on that explanation alone, it's definitely going to be a comedy-based podcast because the idea that we can sit in the studio and solve the world's problems like some kind of comedy think tank would be fucking stupid. I don't even know why they call them think tanks in the first place because tanks definitely exist when people are done thinking. So that is what's happening now. Uh, I wanted to give the explanation, first of all, uh, George, were you able to follow that book, most of that, really? That made sense? Yeah. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, George has been uh, very patient listening to me ramble for the last couple of minutes. And um, 
it's actually the first time George and I are meeting. So, George, as my esteemed guest, what is the normal tradition on this podcast is that we invite you to ask a question. It can be any question you like about anything you like. It can be super boring, super basic. But um, yeah, I just want to keep up with the tradition of the podcast in order to provide that same consistency to my amazing audience that has supported Howard and I over all this time. So, George, the floor is yours to ask a question. That's fine. Well, do you want to raise your hand when you come up with it? Yeah, yeah. You crack on with something else. I'm going to think of something. Just don't feel like you're pressured. It can be anything you want. You could be like, why the fuck are you wearing that? So, and we'll take it from there. Um, But in the meantime, I want to use the time to talk about some of the high points of this podcast that have been amazing. uh, Because as well as having a great podcast that has been supported by this amazing audience, we have had some amazing guests on the show over time. And to be honest, Taking the time sometimes to actually take that in has been something I've not been able to do just to the rigors of being a professional performer. I um, want to begin by talking about the first guest we ever had, uh, Kay Kurd, um, who was on episode one. Kay Kurd is a comedian that I worked with for many years. And the reason I had him on the podcast is because he is a longtime friend and colleague. He uh, supported me on my first tours. Uh, on occasionally on one of these tours he even bought uh, some after performance food which I believe was uh, some marinated tuna and rice which you know sounds a lot like a prep meal but that's all cool because you know Kay goes to the gym he works out and he cares about his body Uh, I care about my body as well especially when my body needs cigarettes just joking but um or am I probably not really um so you got something okay well First of all, guys, we're going to refer back to our uh, producer pal, George, who has a question. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do what we do? Are you talking about in terms of us being uh, creatives or human beings or just whatever? Why do we do it? What is purpose? Why do we? A great question, uh, George. A really good question. Um, what we normally do is tradition on this podcast is we ask, has anything in particular motivated you to ask this question? Yes. Yes. A very, very good question. It's a very good question. So why do we do what we do? So I think I'm going to try and answer this question in a number of different points. Uh, the first one would be, why do we do what we do in terms of the podcast? I guess for me, as an observational comedian, I have always wanted to uh, be able to talk about things that I think about. I think myself personally, in my experience as a comedian, Uh, We all want to make jokes and be the funniest person in the room. That's our endeavor on stage. But I think for myself personally, I always want the larger payoff to also be that people, uh, the jokes and the observations resonate with the audience because they can say he was the same what I was thinking or I was the thought I was the only person that thought that. So in terms of why I perform stand up comedy and why I have aspired to be an artist is because I guess the humanitarian aspect of it is that. I think that art helps people feel less alone in the world. I think it is the uh, performance, artistic performance is uh, maybe one of the only things that separates human beings from other animals. And that's not to say that we are more superior, but if we were to give ourselves a distinction, I would say that it's artistic performance that gives us that distinction. I think it's one of our greatest gifts. I think that um, we're all uh, mortals. We all uh, are basically meat sacks that are being piloted by our consciousness and or our soul, depending on what you believe. And I uh, think because of that, it is important for us 
because we understand that there is something greater than our physical selves to also provide something that can be a representation of our physical selves when our physical selves are no longer around. So that's why I do that. Although, saying all of that, that's not always that funny when you've got five to 20 minutes on stage. And so one of the reasons why I question everything came about is because I think that my style of comedy normally comes from me questioning things on a real or surreal basis. And I wanted to continue that conversation off of stage and have a much larger in-depth conversation, which is not always going to be punctuated by punchlines. And um, yeah, deep delve into, as you said, George, why we do what we do. So in terms of me doing comedy and why I do it, I guess for me, it's A, because I wanted to be able to express myself in a way that wasn't curtailed by being a member of a corporation or a religious institution or any political party because I think that it's important for all human beings to have some semblance of personal or spiritual or psychological freedom. And yeah, I also just wanted to keep questioning shit because as I said at the start of the podcast, I really feel like uh, questioning everything should be a human right. If you are uh, a law-abiding, tax-paying citizen, well, even if you're not that law-abiding because who determines laws is another question that uh, I'm sure we will ask on this podcast later on. But essentially, I think that uh, for me, I think that question everything is important because questioning your reality allows you to be able to change it. When I was a kid, um, a lot of time I'd ask loads of questions. I think everyone gets to that age where instead of you just responding to commands, you begin to ask why as you become more self-aware. And a lot of the time people would tell me that I'm asking too many stupid questions. Or in the case of my parents, they'd be like, "We can't, I cannot answer all of these questions, Dane. So my mum went out and bought the World Book Encyclopedia and I would try and read those as much as possible. And then my dad came back from the Caribbean and he had this book called The Student's Companion, which uh, is so in-depth that it has a list of like algorithms for angles that's just written out before calculators. Apparently that's how people did maths. I am so glad that I wasn't born around that time. So... I've always been someone that questions things. I think one of the biggest questions for me was an existential one uh, sometime around, yeah, 2008, where I never really had my eyes set on being a creative or being a comedian. I just enjoyed the process of making people laugh. I would do skits for my friends. I think this is a story for most comedians anyway. You make a few jokes here and there for your friends. Uh, people laugh. Someone says, you should be on stage. You say, shut the fuck up. You laugh that off. Um, but I definitely think a seed was planted in my head a very long time ago, particularly when I was 15 years old. Uh, I saw Chris Rock for the first time and I was like, this is amazing. I want to be able to do this. I want to have the freedom to discuss some of the more taboo topics in society, whether it is about race relations or politics or history and not feel that I have to be censored because I'm in an office or I'm in what would be referred to as a professional environment. So I think even back then at 15, I asked myself, why couldn't you do something like this? And the answer was because you have no fucking idea. Because for a very long time, the only comedian I saw, particularly in the UK, that looked like myself was Lenny Henry. And Lenny Henry is a great guy and has been very supportive of my career. But I really feel like given the black population of the UK being about 6% out of 70 million people, that is a lot of work for one guy. And I think I'd also asked myself, so why not do it yourself? And I think at the time... The answer was because I have no fucking idea because I went to a regular, well, I went to grammar school, 
but as a regular school, I didn't go to stage school. And as I said, I guess because of a lack of representation, it was hard to see somebody like myself doing this on stage, particularly in the UK. I think that was the case uh, other than seeing the real McCoy and seeing amazing comedians like Curtis Walker and Judith Jacobs and Mira Sayal, uh, Eddie Lester, Leo Mohammed, just to name a few of the amazing people that had a massive influence on my life. And I think I enjoyed that sketch comedy, but didn't know how that worked as stand-up comedy until I saw Chris Rock, Leah Muhammad. I even got to see Russell Peters perform on stage at Catford Broadway Theatre. And I'm not sure how much the tickets cost because I was able to afford that shit. Uh, but someone who now does arenas as far afield as the United Arab Emirates or Mumbai, who arguably was one of the biggest, if not the biggest comedian on YouTube and one of the biggest stand-up comedians in the world, to be able to see them opening the gig with an opening 20 minutes all those years ago uh, was an amazing milestone for me. So I thought about like, why, sh why can't I do it? And also, I guess it was because I didn't really come from a family that had any professional creatives. So it's very hard for you to emulate something that you don't see. So I basically went to uni like a regular person and, uh, well, a regular person who has access to a loan or to their parents' money or a scholarship and uh, studied business management because I guess while I was having these closeted uh, dreams of being a creative, a lot of people in the community I grew up with were all trying to be aspiring creatives. Everybody wanted to be either a singer or I guess a rapper, an actor, mainly a presenter because I think a lot for a lot of people in the black community, these are the only uh, realistic aspirations we could have uh, back there in the 20th century. And um, I think because of that, I kind of was of the uh, disposition, yeah, there is too many people trying to be famous in my hood. So maybe I should try and be on the other side of the microphone and try to enrich that space by, you know, contributing in a corporate way, maybe being a manager or something like that. So I did business management. Uh, after that, for some reason, going back to your question, George, about what we do, why we do what we do. Well, I went into media sales and I did that because I was under the impression that media sales would involve some level of uh, creativity as well as being able to talk to people, bring them around to your way of thinking. So I guess subconsciously I was always chasing stand up, but didn't know that because those do not appear on job boards as job titles. And Google was not where it is today. So I got into media sales also because I'd finished uni and was tired of being broke. I went to uni in Bradford, so I was tired to have to wear a coat indoors all the time. So I wanted to get a uh, job where I'd be able to take care of myself for a while. Suffice it to say, I did not enjoy working in media sales. Um, the thing about anybody who works in media who might be asking me, what's your problem with media sales? It's not media sales, it's any kind of sales. I think that sometimes for me, it can definitely be a numbers game. I'll go so far as to say a lot of the time with sales, it is basically corporate begging. You've got to repeat the same script to a bunch of strangers, some of them who are tired, or just starting work. And I can't imagine that somebody who shows up to work at nine o'clock, who is rung nine o'clock on a dot, wants to talk about their job right away. I'm sure they have that brief window between 8.30 when some people are told they have to arrive at work for free, mind you. I don't know why you have to go into work when you're not contracted to. That is insane to me. And then be at your desk, ready to pester people. And for me, I guess it wasn't something I enjoyed, but I guess a lot of people, we don't have jobs we enjoy. So why do we do what we do? Well, in terms of occupation, a lot of us do it because we live in a capitalist society 
we have overheads, we have dependents, and we do what we do to take care of people. And to be honest, seeing how that affected people in an office, I found kind of traumatic, to be honest, because most of the people I worked with, not just in uh, my first job, but most jobs, I would look at their computer screens and either be a picture from their wedding day or a picture of their children or a picture of a holiday once went on. And for me, I'll be honest, it used to seem kind of sad to see that people need to have their image of their dependence in their face in order to motivate them to keep working, which would suggest to me that a lot of people, if they had the choice, wouldn't be doing their jobs. But why we do what we do is because we have to earn money. We have to take care of ourselves. I would say, in general, 99.9% .9 of human beings need to eat every day and definitely have water. And these commodities are not free, unfortunately. So that's why people do it. And I guess people also do it because they say, I'll put the work in now where I have the youth and the vitality so that I'll reach an age where I can stop working and the money I've earned, I'll be able to get a fraction of it back in the form of a pension, which to me always seemed like some kind of very, very crappy uh, record deal. And that's why I did what I did up until, I guess, 2008, where we had the credit crunch. I was always somebody, I guess, was always very square-minded as much as I fantasized about being a creative I wanted to be a realistic person and be like well not everyone can be famous not everyone can be successful as a celebrity or successful as a creator in general and I'm very happy to have something like that as a hobby uh, because I'm going to do the right square thing and work as hard as I can I didn't work very hard and uh, because it's very easy it's just a numbers game it doesn't employ any intelligence whatsoever a very 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 well-trained monkey could do with my job um and at least that was the reality i had created for myself and didn't fully question until the credit crunch happened where essentially we had the finance and banking industry through their sales of subprime mortgages and then repackaging those as toxic assets and using those as commodities on the stock market if you don't know how the credit crunch happened and essentially falling a lot of people into thinking they could have two or three mortgages uh, against the backdrop about a bunch of people and uh, potential tenants who wouldn't be able to afford those places. And so collectively and globally, not only did people default on these subprime mortgages, but those mortgages repayments being collected and sold as toxic assets also made no sense despite all of the crazy capital asset pricing models that were being developed with maths see it's always maths maths will always fuck you up and that maths uh was trying to make zeros into ones which any ai can tell you don't make no fucking sense and after that happened uh we saw the collapse of the economy and then then i learned a whole new capitalist term that never existed when i was in university and remember i studied business so i have a basic knowledge of how business works and normally in a free market, if you are unable to continue trading or continue to provide a good or a service in that marketplace, then you will go bust. And if you are somebody who works by yourself, you're what's called a sole trader and you have unlimited liability. The same way if you are in a uh, partnership where maybe more than one of you or even if you're in a small limited company, if you default on your costs and you become insolvent, then normally people are able to recover whatever assets they can to cover your outgoings. But when it comes to large institutions like investment banks, apparently those rules don't apply. And I learned a whole new term 
which is too big to fail. Never heard that before, but apparently some businesses are not allowed to go out of business. And so we saw a massive bailout to the tune of billions from our tax base being given to these companies. Now, I know there's a lot of you out there who might be right of center. You might refer to yourselves as neo-libertarians or libertarians or free market economists. Let me ask you a question and feel free to feedback on this. If we collectively as a tax base use our money to bail out banks in order for them to still exist, I would posit to you that would make us majority shareholders. And that's fine. But what I imagine that normally means is when you are a majority shareholder in any company, when that company reports profits, you will get a dividend. And if you are a large investor, you'll get a preferential dividend, which means when they start making money, you get your money first. So my question to all of you out there, even if you are someone that believes in the banking system, if our money is the one keeping these fucking banks afloat and they are now turning around after 15 years and reporting profits, shouldn't we be getting our fucking money back? That's how I feel. But what I think is more harrowing is the fact that that same money that came from us to bail out these banks was money that came, was part of our collective pensions. Our pensions, which are also fucked because a lot of pensions also invested in these toxic assets in the form of subprime mortgages. So people's pensions have been wiped out. People's savings were wiped out. Waves of job losses came. And it made me think, why am I doing what I am doing? And why do we do what we do if at the end of our professional lives, some of us aren't even going to get fucking pensions. If you're lucky, you might have a private pension, but this government may not give you one. Why are we doing what we're doing? And I guess this also coincided around a time where I had my first breakup as well. And I was putting a lot of energy into making my relationship work. And it came to an end. Now, I could go into those reasons, but breakups and heartbreak is something that everyone experiences. And it was just my time. And it made me wonder why I'm doing what I'm doing in terms of putting all of my energy into making something work when it can't. So essentially, I was dealing with two things, watching the collapse of Western uh, civilizations, economies and financial systems, as well as a life that I had planned to spend in love. And so the question was, if for me was, if you know that there is no safety net by having a nine to five or a regular job, and if you know there's not someone there that you have to focus all your energy on, what could your life be if you decided to focus on doing something you actually wanted to do? And the answer to that was, uh, I don't really know. So I began the journey saying to myself, why don't you at least start looking into and start questioning things around you that you're not comfortable with? So I began to question the economy. I didn't like the answers. I even began to question the fashion because at one point, Everybody was wearing high top trainers and his weird boot cut jeans and leather jackets. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing? We are heading down a sewer and both morally, uh, economically, as well as socially. And I think I had to kind of fall back from society uh, to kind of rediscover myself and really assess why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I think between a couple uh, Loki songs and Immortal Technique albums, and then finally reading uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, I began to feel my uh, personality and my outlook change. Now, again, I didn't think it'd be as straightforward as I'm just going to go and start doing comedy now. Because again, 
I had no idea on how to do that. I didn't have anyone who worked in the creative industry. I didn't know any stand-up comedians personally. So I didn't know what I was doing. And I thought, maybe the problem is, maybe you don't work very hard. And maybe you need to uh, apply yourself in the corporate sector. And so I took another job in media sales where I became an agency executive. And oh my God, that allowed me to question why I do what I do. George, I got a rebuttal question. Have you ever had a job that is so fucking ridiculous that you're like, I cannot live this way anymore? I get it, totally. Me too. So I want to tell you and the audience about this job. My last job before I become a stand-up comedian, I used to work for Auto Trader, And I wasn't like doing the listing of the cars. Basically on their website, uh, car companies and other... Uh, I guess, industries that are associated with the automotive industry would advertise on the website. And um, I would have to speak to the media buyers about where they wanted to advertise. It's as boring as it sounds, George, so I'm not even going to go into it too much. But I want to tell you about some of my experiences. I remember, first of all, uh, working as a sales executive and someone I previously worked with also started the company and they were promoted to senior sales executive. And I questioned, oh, what can I do to get promoted? And the reply to that was that you're not working hard enough and I was put on a disciplinary for not hitting my target. Now, I want to tell people this story because I've always wanted to tell this story where basically the other person I worked with would always ask me to borrow money. And I found out later on that she was asking everyone in the office to borrow money. And one of the people that used to lend her money on a frequent basis was my manager who put me in a disciplinary. Now, I want to ask everybody here, if you don't hit your target, which she never did, and you don't get commission because you don't hit your target, but the manager just gives you money anyway, what fucking motivation do you have to hit target if the money that you would have earned, they just give to you anyway for free? And yet, the only person that's on the discipline there was me. And I will never forget, I had one of these discipline meetings where I was told that, like, you're too arrogant and you act as if you hit target all the time, which I don't. I can't stress enough. When I worked in the office, the same shirts that I wore to this office were the same shirts I wore to college when I was in sixth form. I think if you're wearing the same suit and the same shirt that you're wearing when you're 17, by the time you're in your late 20s and 30s, you don't care that much about the job. And that was me. So I don't know how I'd be that arrogant. But um, yeah, it turns out that some people had a problem because where I may have missed my target a couple of times, I hit my target for the quarter. So I actually hit my target overall. And that made some people who did not like me very happy. Um, so in response to them saying, you can't hit your target, they put on my target by 30%. Now, my question is, if you can't hit your target, why would they make your target higher? When you do the high jump in the Olympics, if you can't do 1.85 meters, they don't go, you can't do that. We're going to put it up to two meters. That's not really how things are supposed to work. Last time I checked. But it turns out what had actually happened is that the team target for the whole team remained the same. And so I had to work like a workhorse, or I'll say it, like a fucking slave. And I had to hit the target. So everybody in the team target got commission. And the only person who wasn't able to hit their individual target was me. Or so I thought. And I queried this. And the response to that was for me to be on another disciplinary. And uh, here is a tip for people. What is the fucking point? Or here's a question I should say. What is the fucking point of having uh, human resources... Because human resources, obviously, are employed by the company they work for. 
So if you have a grievance about your company, you know who's not going to be able to help you? Another fucking employee. Because this is how it plays out. Hi, I'm from HR, and someone from this company has a problem with you as a manager. Oh, yeah? And what the fuck are you going to do about it? Well, I think we should have a meeting about it. How about this? If you question me again in my own company, you're fucking fired, HR. And that's how that conversation's going to go. So anyone who's ever had a grievance and gone to HR and been like, why didn't they help me? It's because they work for the same company and they can't afford to lose their money either. So it's a very fucking messy game. Um, so back to Auto Trader. My line manager was not my overall manager, but my line manager, he was right there where my manager said to me, I don't know why you're so arrogant because you can't, uh, most of the time, sales our luck anyway which may or may not be true George and everybody listening but I don't think it's something you should tell a sales team I don't think it's particularly motivating for people to think it's just luck anyway especially because as a result of my disciplinary I've been given a whole spreadsheet where they said you need to fill it in with things you're 90% sure about 50% sure about and maybe 25% sure about all I'm saying is I'm not great at maths but I do know if something is luck there's never going to be a 90% chance it's going to come in. It's at best 50. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 50. And when I said that, I was told I'm aggressive. So I said to my manager, did you hear that? And obviously, because he was trying to protect his own job, he said, a lot of things were said. You can't take them too seriously. So that was my experience. So again, I'm wondering, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I'm becoming very stressed. I'm grinding my teeth at night because I'm basically put in a position whereby I'm not able to succeed. And this is starting to become a repeating pattern in my life where when I'm under the control or the auspices of other people, I'm not able to realize my potential. And I was getting to a point where I, I am getting fucking sick of this shit. So anyway, they have a real issue with their website. And all of a sudden, and this is all true, by the way, this is not defamation or anything. And if anybody wants to challenge it, you can feel free to do so. But we all know that it's true. So anyway, there's a mistake that happens. Uh, with a website a lot of money is lost and a wave of redundancies is going round and it's at the redundancies where people are having to fight for their own jobs that I find out the truth George and everybody else it turns out I'm probably one of the only people in my entire team apart from my friend uh, Simon Paul who now lives in Australia shout out you Simon um, who's hit target since I've been there every other employee there has either missed target 
Uh, and if they have been able to hit their target or even make any sales, they have sold it way below what's called rate card price. So everybody's walking around with their underpants and their knickers down. And the only person who's selling honestly and fairly is myself. The other reason I was pointing at the disciplinary is because I was told you do not book enough client facing meetings to talk about the talk about sales. If we've got nothing to sell or they don't have any budget, I don't see the point in meeting people. Maybe I'm just crazy. But also a big part of my job was doing client entertainment, where sometimes on a weekend you take people to dinner, you schmooze them and hopefully they sell with you. Now, anyone listening out there who has a job, maybe working in media or in general, ask yourself this. It's Friday afternoon. Are you going to come and listen to me and my PowerPoint presentation or are you going to let somebody take you for steak or sushi so you can come back fucked and spend a few more hours in the office before you get to go home and enjoy your weekend? I think most people would be like, uh, I'm going to get schmooze for free with free food and drink and get fucked up and go home. But apparently my, my, my manager feels like I was doing the right thing. And the best part was my former colleague who was supposedly going on meetings after she left the company, her replacement called her former clients and was like, you may have previously been dealing with this person. I'm taking over their accounts now. And their reply was, we've never met that person in our entire lives. Because what she used to do basically is she'd say she's going for a meeting on a Friday and let's leave the office early. Which, to be honest, I'm not even mad at because in this office and in any office and any corporation institution, their systems and Sometimes the way we are able to succeed in life is that we learn to subvert and manipulate those systems. So that's a great uh, lesson for me. Anywho, as I'm sure you can all imagine, you're like, Dane, why are you still doing this fucking job? Well, because things are expensive and I've got a car to pay for. But then I think, let me take a break. And I decide to go on holiday with my partner at the time. Uh, before I go, I'm setting up some meetings with some clients because I'm having to actively find new clients myself that exist outside of the uh, database they have because I'm getting grilled from all sides. I find the client, I come back from holiday to find another person has stolen this client and everybody in the office is aware of it but because this person has the favour of my manager because again it's another person who she basically just gives money to so they can be successful and that person is exposed and tells me you can have the fucking client if you fucking want it. And I said, why are you talking to me like that for? We're both working in the office as professionals. I then get called into an office and again get lambasted about my aggression, which is a very subversive word for being, you're black and talking in this predominantly white office. How fucking dare you? And something just went. And I said, fuck this shit. I quit. And I'm not sure if anybody here has quit a job before. I don't mean give notice. I don't mean go on gardening leave. I mean say, fuck this shit. I quit. But the feelings of euphoria that come with that, I cannot uh, I cannot basically promote the virtues enough as a human being from saying I quit. Because as George said, it's a very good question to ask ourselves all the time, which I'm sure a lot of you do when you're standing on the train with an armpit or a bum cheek in your face thinking, why the fuck do I do this? Sometimes saying no it's one of the most uh, powerful tools you have as a human being in society because uh, I think as Plato said, if uh, we as human beings are not, uh, we don't scrutinize enough, we uh, risk being ruled by our inferiors, which I'm paraphrasing, but it's definitely true because I think that most human beings are not predisposed to conflict. I think a lot of the time, most of us want to get on with our lives. We're not uh, always savage or violent people, but there are people out there who are able to take advantage of the fact that most human beings 
are not confrontational and they will push and push or they will continue to heat up the uh, proverbial boiling water to us frogs. And if we don't say anything or jump out of that boiling water, we can slowly uh, come to our demise. And that was something I wasn't prepared to do anymore. So I was like, I quit. And I walked the fuck back out that office. And my line manager was like, oh, uh, Dane, um, things were said. And I'm a pussy and a coward. And I wouldn't normally do that because my wife might slap me. And blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, sir, I am done here. Now, normally when you work in an office, it's not as straightforward as that. Normally you have to have like an exit interview. So I mean, maybe a week after typing up my notice, even though I'd already quit, I had another uh, uh, interview where, again, there was these accusations of me not hitting target. And you know what I did again? I said, oh, I'm sorry, fuck this. I'll be walking out the office. Because once you say no, people don't have power over you. And I think that's when I decided, you know what, Dane? You ain't got shit to lose. Why not give something you enjoy a try? And if it don't work out, at least you won't be sitting in an office going crazy or sniffing coke in the toilet of a pub being like, I wonder what my life would have been if I'd given that a go. So that is basically the story of what I do, what I do, because the world conspired so that I couldn't really do anything else apart from giving comedy a try. But, you know, when you're going into creative industries, it's not always that straightforward. A lot of us tend to procrastinate, and I totally understand that. But I wanted it to be a productive procrastination. I think a lot of the time we all do what's called productive procrastination. Like you've got a dissertation to do, why not clean the house? Or you've got a spreadsheet to do at home, well, you know what also needs to be done at home? Someone needs to arrange the contents of the fridge in alphabetical order. We're all guilty of that. So what I wanted to do was some productive procrastination where I wanted to read. Because, as I said, in terms of comedy, for a long time, I had not seen anybody that looks like me. And I also understood, just from looking at reviews of how other black comics are treated, that in this country, people definitely did not feel like we had a... Uh, race problem in the UK if you were someone who was weaned on British uh, comedy panel shows and satirical shows you would be forgiven for believing that we do not have an issue with race in this country or with immigration or with class because these taboo subjects were never really tackled in earnest for a very long time which uh, I would go so far as to say for a long time most people didn't even feel that that sentiment still existed in the UK until Brexit happened. And then people realized, oh, no, things haven't changed. People fucking hate immigrants. So at the same time, if I was going to question these things, like I question everything, that's the name of this fucking podcast. Anyway, I would uh, have to do some research because I wanted my observations to be valid. So I spent a lot of time making sure I did some reading. One of the books I read is a book called Weapons of Mass Instruction uh, by a former English teacher an author called John Taylor Gatto, where he has posited that the uh, purpose of institutions like academia are not to make people educated, productive members of a society, but to orientate them for working in institutions where they do not question authority, which is the reason why people are trained in the Pavlovian response in classrooms to not leave or enter until they hear a sound and to also raise their hands before speaking we are all restricted in our interaction in school, uh, restricted either by gender, by going to particular schools, faith schools, or even uh, restricted by age, even though we all have a different level of maturity. And this idea that we polarize and separate ourselves uh, repeats itself in society and makes us a lot easier to conquer and control when we've been massively divided. And I was like, I've been thinking that shit for a real long time. 
the next book I read was a book, uh, well, a maybe the most important book I read in my life, which is uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X, which was written by Alex Haley, who wrote Roots, and basically chronicles one of the most significant ideologues of the 20th century and how they went from a life of crime and being relatively ignorant of uh, America's social ills in terms of proactively being able to address them to becoming the articulate, intelligent ideologue and civil rights activist that we all remember to this day. It's a shame that his ex has been used on Elon Musk's app, but that's another conversation for another time. But yeah, I did all that because I just wanted to make sure that this new job that I'd be doing, or if I could ever make this into a job, that I could do it very well. Now, initially, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard about various points in my life in comedy, but it don't always go that well. Um, don't pay well, that's for a start. And um, yeah, it meant I definitely had to get rid of a lot of creature comforts and um, focus on making stand-up work, which I imagine is the journey for a number of comedians and not everybody has the benefit of being able to live with their parents or living in London. Uh, travel and commuting is expensive for aspiring comedians and creatives and being at London and maybe to a lesser extent Manchester existed as the only hubs for creativity because of their proximity to uh, BBC buildings it's very difficult so I wanted to make sure that I used all the advantages that I had because I didn't have the advantage of nepotism I didn't have any background knowledge about how to get into the uh, creative industry so I just wanted to do as much research as possible I did a creative writing course at the London School of Journalism uh, and then, because by around 2010, like Google was working pretty well by then, um, I discovered the uh, Comedy School, which is an amazing school and charity and outreach uh, organization uh, that's located in Camden. And um, I did an improv course there. And I spoke to them about comedy, my aspirations, how I'd given comedy a go once back in 2006. And the head of the school, a amazing man, Keith Palmer, um, OBE, said... Um, Dane, if you're actually going to do comedy, you really need to pull your fucking finger out. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, like, you're being lazy and you need to sort yourself out. And I'm going to offer you a discount on this stand up course so you can fix up. And that was, I think, maybe sometime around 2011 in August. I did that six week course, uh, which was also led by a uh, my big brother in comedy and another inspiration, Mr. C. And I had a showcase at the end of that. And then next thing I know. um, Yeah. I'm on the circuit and why am I telling you all this and why do I do? Because I think what we do can definitely inform how we conduct ourselves as our lives go on and in our future. Um, those of you who listen to this podcast and have heard me rambling like this before know that I definitely, like a lot of people, um, know that time is a construct, uh, isn't necessarily linear. And I think that time is something that happens simultaneously. Like it doesn't follow a linear fashion of past, present and future. Your actions in the present can both influence your past and influence your future. Life example, I go therapy. I do that now so I don't have problems in the future like any psychological issues where I'm going to end up rambling to myself in a home where somebody has to feed me banana and avocado blended up because I do not know I pulled out my own teeth or some weird shit like that. Um, it also allows you to resolve past issues and past traumas and I think for those of you who think about time travel in a much more science fiction way I think if you really want to observe time travel 
uh, self-care or maybe in the form of seeking therapy is probably the most efficient and most realistic example of time travel that we have as people. And so I say that because I told you this story about me saying I quit on saying no. And as I reflect now on some of the adversity I deal with in uh, working in comedy today, those have been valuable lessons. You have to be able to say no. You have to be able to walk away. You have to be able to tell people to go fuck themselves because as much as we would like to project the image of the creative industry and entertainment being fun and massively rewarding and remunerating and massively inclusive, art imitates life and life imitates art, which means a lot of the social ills that you see in society outside of the industry also permeate in the industry. And it is important for you, especially as a creative or anybody who wants to express themselves or just realize their own human potential to be able to resist when people try to project their need to, for control onto you. And there's been many times where people have tried to hang money or control or the threat of sabotage of my career over my head. And I've always been able to say, go fuck yourself. I am not afraid because my journey has allowed me to have an understanding of what it's not like to have, what it's like to go without, and also how to delay my gratification in order to achieve uh, what I want uh, and have some longevity and the bigger picture. So that's why I have done what I've done. Um, and that was something that I wanted to share with people because as I said, I think what might be one of the more distinctive aspects of my career is that I never, never ever imagined I would be able to have a career as a creative and do that professionally. Um, and for me, it's always felt like being or understanding that I was gonna be confined to a wheelchair my whole life and one day I was able to get up and walk and I do not want to affect, offend anybody from an ableist perspective. It's just the best metaphor I could come up with right now off the top of my head um, that, you know, where I felt like I wouldn't be able to realize my full human potential. I think I'm now in a position to do so. And this podcast has been a uh, large part of that. Um, does that kind of answer the question, George? Definitely. Yeah. I'm glad, man, because I just think that like um, purpose is another thing that we use to define humanity by. And I think that a lot of us struggle with purpose. And I've said it a lot of the time on this podcast that uh, as artificial intelligence continues to proliferate, as certain aspects that we have used to quantify our humanity in terms of occupation and vocation are becoming obsolete every day, we are going to need new things to uh, motivate us to do what we do. And I think that it's a very important question about what makes us human beings. And maybe that's the answer is that like, when we talk about what we do, what we do, are we trying to be human doings or human beings? Because we are treated with the idea that we have to have certain social and professional obligations. Like you're not a productive member of the society unless you have a job. But I would definitely say to you in reply to that, that there are a lot of people in this world, particularly the most privileged people in this world who don't really have jobs. And really, a large part of their livelihood really depends on the work of the rest of us. And so by that same token, if they're able to live how they want based on what we do, why as people can we not do the same? My, what I guess might be my last message to our listeners is we should definitely question everything. And then you need to be able to question, like George said, why we're doing what we're doing because 
There are no statues of salespeople in any fucking office. You might get a picture that says employee of the month, but that's for the month. And you know what your reward normally is? If you hit a target or you do something successful working for somebody else, is that that person will make you do it again and make more money in the following year. Uh, I've said this to many people that I care about and love when they've expressed ennui or stress about their occupation. These fuckers in your office are not coming to your funeral. When you go, however you go, they are going to replace you. In the same way, ask yourselves this shit. We all malign people that are on benefits. We malign people that receive job seekers. But ask yourself this. Have you ever heard of somebody jumping off the roof of a fucking job center? You never have. But people jump on the train tracks on their way to work all the time. People jump off their buildings at their place of work. And ask yourself, do the police or detectives or homicide or suicide detectives ever go into that workplace to look into the corporate culture or the environment or even at a train station to ask people what the fuck was happening in this person's life where they decided they can't do it anymore before they even got to their fucking workplace? Because we've all been at a point where we're like, I can't fucking take this shit anymore. Ask yourselves, if you were to act on that instinct, who's going to give a shit? And if you don't like the answer, then I would say it may be time to reassess what you're doing with your life. So I wanted to say that to people who have been supporting this podcast. It means the most. And I say that because I genuinely believe that most of us will question what we do, what we do at very... Uh, pivotal points in our daily lives when we wake up just before we go to bed maybe we're in the shower or maybe when we're on our way to work or whatever institution we are legally or socially obligated to attend that you'll question why we do what we do and that's why this podcast was supposed to be i wanted this podcast to be an outlet for you that when you're in your quantum of solace wondering what the fuck is going on with the world marvin gay style that we can always have that conversation where you're able to question your reality in a way where you're not able to always do that in the office by the water cooler or by the coffee machine or on the fucking golf break or at the sauna or the pub or wherever you go where you are trying to have some semblance of escapism from the obligations in your life. This podcast was about being able for you to question these things so that if those things did not make you a happy and a whole person, you could begin the steps to change them. And I do that because... I was able to have the opportunity to do that and have been very blessed and very lucky to have a successful career doing so. But if I'm able to give something back as an artist and performer so that people have supported me, it's hoping that this podcast and any of the work I do is a catalyst for you to be the person you want to be and also be a better person for the people around you. Uh, and I believe, oh, not just people as well, if you've got pets, Tamagotchis, just to be able to be a better person in society because we are a social species. I don't believe that we uh, exist as a dominant species because there can never be one dominant species because we all have a symbiotic relationship with the rest of this world. We can't be a dominant species as human beings if where all the trees are gone, we fucking die. Or if all the bees are gone, we die. If you are wholly dependent on other organisms in order to survive, you can't be dominant. At the best... We exist as a custodial species that have the tools and the intellect and insight to be able to have an active uh, effect on the reality that we live in. 
and not all species can do that. And so that's why it's always been important for you to question everything. So thank you so much, guys, uh, for rocking with me this long and listening to me go on for this long. George, thank you so much for that part section of the show. Um, but given, you know what, given that it's uh, the last episode, I want to make sure that uh, I do answer some questions. So one of the questions uh, I have received uh, from you as an amazing audience is, um, yeah, what are you looking forward to uh, in terms of fatherhood? And um, there's a lot of things. I mean, again, I don't have a frame of reference. Uh, thank you to H who sent that. Uh, very much appreciate you. Um, looking forward to a lot of things. I think the biggest thing I'm looking forward to again when it comes to being a parent is I always used to have the fear and frustration that I would have to project my existential shortcomings onto my child. I always was afraid that I would have to be forced to live vicariously through my child and maybe try and push them into an industry that I wanted to be in because of my own uh, denied dreams. And again, I've been very blessed to be able to do what I want with my life because I never wanted to be that parent who'd be like, you don't know how lucky you are. You don't know how you got it. I wish I could have been, a blah, 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 but I've got to take care of you because who the fuck needs that pressure as a child? So the thing I'm looking forward to most is being able to approach fatherhood safe in the knowledge that nothing is perfect, but I can wholeheartedly and in earnest tell my daughter to chase her dreams and be who she wants to be because I am the living example of that. And I'm never going to have to project any uh, unrequited uh, achievement feelings onto them. And I think that having that kind of uh, personal peace will definitely help. Uh, not resenting my child's youth and vitality definitely helps. Because there's a guy out there, I know there's a billionaire, who literally feeds off his son's blood. I'm not sure if you heard about this, George, but there's a guy out there who basically, he takes injections of his son's blood on a weekly basis to maintain his youth which is fucking mental. Again, I would like to say, the way you achieve eternal life, whether you are a billionaire, a thousandaire, or you're on benefits is, take care of your fucking kids. Your children are a product of the best of you made flesh. So if you want to continue living, that's how you do it, by having children. And if you're not able to have children, that's absolutely fine as well. You're also able to imprint on humanity, on society, by being a positive or a source of positivity to people because as long as you imprint on people you'll be able to live uh, forever and also if you want to live forever really in the minds of people create shit create shit that is not motivated by money not motivated by ego and you will always be able to endure and have existential resilience and continue living so I hope that helps uh, I've got another question in here uh, somebody has asked me, how do we distangle politics from corporate interest? Is it even possible? And that is a very good question from Dan West. Thank you very much, Dan. Um, it's a tough one because as long as you live in a world where human worth and uh, opportunity and human comfort is dictated by uh, capital gain, that's going to be very difficult. It's like, for example when people uh, are guilty of tax evasion or they embezzle millions of pounds for PPE 
and then flee to uh, the British Virgin Islands like Michelle Moan did, you fucking bitch. Then getting people who also have to subsist on a salary to try and recover that money can be very difficult. Because again, think about it. I'm a billionaire and someone from HMRC comes to my office. So we want to investigate you for evading tax as much as 300 million pounds, potentially via some uh, holding company in Panama. You know what I'm talking about, guys. And then that person goes, yeah, I'm here to investigate you. As a billionaire, what am I going to say? How much do you make a year? That person goes, yeah, I make 70 grand a year. You know what I'm going to say as a billionaire? I'll fucking double that shit for you to look the other way. So it's very difficult to dis to dis uh, to kind of distangle that. Uh, distangle? Disentangle? Detangle? It's tough. As tough as it is for me to work out what the fuck that word is supposed to be. Um, but yeah, I think that as long as you have corporate interests that are able to lobby politicians, it's always going to be very difficult. So what we need to do then, and I think it's a very good question, is we need to be able to provide at least majority representation that is representative of the people rather than of a small uh, percentage of the population. Because I think it is basically 2% of the population in the UK is uh, Etonian or Oxbridge educated. And those are the people that basically are overrepresented within our political system. And what that means is that normally these are the kind of people who go to school with the people that become billionaires and become elites. And those people probably look at them and go, oh, you're working in politics, so you're going to make about 100 grand a year plus expenses. Oh, good for you, with no shares. And these people probably get very uh, resentful and egotistical about it and then are prepared to uh, accept lobbying or essentially sell out uh, because they use politics as a springboard to get into an industry they actually want. So going back to what I said before about the credit crunch changing my life, Goldman Sachs was one of the biggest companies involved in signing off a bailout. And you know who worked at Goldman Sachs? Your current prime minister, Rishi Sunak. So ask yourselves if somebody who has previously been employed there, who is richer than the king of England, him fucking self, finishes working as a politician, there's going to be a large likelihood that he is going to make laws which give protection to these institutions. So maybe one of the ways we can cure it, Dan, is that if you are, uh, we look at your previous employment and if you've been employed by any of the companies that are involved in cronyism or corruption or previous lobbying, then you cannot work in government. Because what we're supposed to have are civil servants that are at the behest of the populace working towards it. And what we have instead are people who basically seem to live parasitically of the populace and are at the behest of these large corporate institutions. So I guess the short answer to the question is you banned corporatism and lobbying from politics. And if it is discovered, then more punitive measures are employed where if you have taken money like fucking David Cameron did with Greensill, you cannot serve in office especially when you haven't even been fucking elected and you can't even look after your own daughter in a fucking pub and you've had your dick in a dead pig's head. So, thank you for that, Dan. Great question. Um, what else have we got as questions? Um, have another question here, uh, which is, who do you wish you had on the podcast a second time? Um, that is a great question. There are so many people who I'd love to have back on the podcast because we were normally limited for an hour. So let's see. Um, there's a number of people, as I mentioned, K Curd. It'd be nice to have him back and reflect on our collective journeys, both as podcasters and comedians. Also, Tanya Moore, another amazing comedian and writer uh, who actually wrote on Big Brother recently. I'd love to have her back. And the reason why would be because before I was a comedian, 
I knew Tanya Moore uh, as a teenager. So when I was beginning to uh, have the thoughts and the dreams of becoming a stand-up comic in my head, uh, Tanya was somebody who was doing the same, who was uh, a very talented dancer, by the way, um, who was also always good for banter, very, very funny person. And we would always be casually making jokes growing up. So it's amazing to see how we've been able to uh, transcend that into becoming professional joke makers. I actually remember being at a house party with Tanya where she uh, broached the idea of becoming a stand-up comedian. And, you know, like I said, based on the large monologue I've given you over this last episode, I was like, sure, you can do that. And even then, as funny as I knew Tanya was, I couldn't even uh, conceptualize how amazing her work ethic would be. And it would be nice to have her back to talk about our collective journeys. Um, I would also love to have Mark Thomas back on the show uh, because before I did stand-up comedy, another book I wrote on, read on my journey was a book called Belching at the Devil by Mark Thomas where he speaks about uh, multinationalism and how it is definitely uh, a much more powerful political entity than political institutions are and about how some of these uh, larger multinational corporations not only stifle other businesses and also stifle the health and uh, well-being of human beings, but um, yeah, are also having a negative effect on our climate and our planet. Um, Mark Thomas has always been someone who's been able to uh, seamlessly mix comedy with social commentary, which I thought that's what comedy was supposed to be, to done, be done very well in observational comedy, to talk about what we can see, what does not look good, and what we can do to change it, hence the inspiration for this podcast. So I'd love to have Mark Thomas back on the podcast as well. Um, Dawn Butler, uh, who is the uh, local MP for Brent, uh, has always been a massively supportive and outspoken person as well as politician who continues to actually be a civil servant in the truest sense that I can see, despite all of the vitriol and misogyny while she deals with. So I consider Dawn to be a real Marine. So I'd definitely like to pick her brain on how you're able to continue to triumph over adversity. Um, Jamelia was one of the uh, guests on our podcast a few years ago. Uh, I remember with, I grew up with a lot of uh, women, uh, a lot of beautiful black Caribbean women who are my uh, relatives, uh, which meant there's more of them than me. So they control the TV. And so I ended up watching Greece and Greece 2 a lot more times than my male peers. Um, and yeah, we I will remember sitting at my aunt's house in Huddersfield um, and seeing the debut of uh, Jimmy Lee's song, uh, Call Me, and uh, being massively inspired because, as I said, representation was very sparse prior to the explosion of social media. And seeing somebody who's not only a, a talented uh, and gifted singer, but also is a songwriter uh, and has dabbled in directing, um, I'm sure that uh, Jamelia was definitely somebody who influenced me to pursue my creative dreams. Um, she has since gone on there to be uh, appear on panel shows, be a massive activist. I definitely think she's been a massive trailblazer uh, by making songs, talking about taboo subjects like domestic violence and has definitely stead, stood ten toes or against misogynoir, uh, has been an uh, amazing feminist icon. But most of all, she is a mum and a sister and just a really nice person. So, Jamelia, if you're listening, would love you back on here. I don't care what you say, Jamelia. I think Superstar is a great song. I don't give a fuck what the haters say. So, yeah. Um, also, Harriet Dyer. She's a, been a great uh, comic on the show. And again, I think it's somebody who has been very uh, adept at speaking about uh, mental health. And is just a very funny and nice person. So I'd love to have her back. Um, 
Kane Brown, that's the big brother from South East London. He's definitely been an inspiration in terms of entrepreneurship and self-determination. Uh, and Kane Brown is just insanely funny and just said some wild shit. And if you don't know about Kane Brown, check him out because he's hilarious. Um, so I'd like to have him back. Um, we've had Ed Miliband on the show. If you don't know, like, you know, we've, this show has definitely been amazing in terms of some of the guests we've been able to uh, create and have on the show. So Ed Miliband, um, I'd like to have him back because really, I just want to ask him, what the fuck is going on right now, Ed? The worst thing in the world used to be you eating a bacon sandwich. Now uh, our political system seems to be burning down. So I'd love to get his feedback on that. Um, who else have we been on here? Uh, Daro Brian has been on the podcast. And um, he had uh, asked why we don't like new things. And I guess because we're creatures of habit. But obviously, if you are a comedy fan, if you don't know who Daro O'Brien is, you definitely are a British comedy fan. There's the host of Mock the Week. He has uh, mediated between the platitudes of some of the most prolific comedians in this country and has done it in an amazing way and has always been massively uh, supportive of my career. So I'd like to have him back alongside uh, Richard Osman as well, who uh, I met uh, on House of Games and was so uh, gracious to appear on the podcast. And Richard Osman said he thinks I'm brilliant, which is as best as a testimony as you can get from someone in this game and that he uh, would love to see what I'm going to do next with my creative career. And that is a massive uh, confidence boost. And Richard, if you still listen to this podcast, thank you very much for appearing. And I would love to see you again. But to be honest, guys, like the list is endless. We have had such amazing people. Ruby Bogal, Natasha Devon has been on the podcast. We have had uh, Blind Boy has been on the podcast from uh, Rubber Bandits. has been on the podcast as well. Um, Skin from Skunk and Nancy has been on the podcast. Jordan Jarrett Bryan has been on the podcast. DJ Spoonie has been on this podcast. I grew up, went to uni listening to DJ Spoonie. Again, an icon, somebody who definitely was an inspiration to me and has gone on to be so steadfastly supportive of my career. In fact, when DJ Spoonie turned 25 times two, I don't want to hate on the age, my brother. Um, he had like a gathering and I was invited to this gathering just to speak about his influence and to be around other amazing creatives and i get this and i don't try to name drop too much on this show but i got to meet robbie g from uh snatch and trevor nelson you know the lick trevor nelson r&b dj extraordinaire obviously dj spoonie was there comedian judy love was there who's also been on the podcast shout out judy uh kano no the guy who bridged the gap maybe one of the best rappers this country has ever produced uh Reggie Yates has also been on the podcast. Shout out Reggie. Um, and at this, DJ Ace as well. And at this party, um, Robbie G said to me that we passed the torch. And I am not sure how I did not get that emotional at the time. I think I was just trying to stay tough because, you know, Kano and the Carla was there. Can't be crying in front of those dudes. But um, yeah. To have someone as prolific as Robbie G, who I watched not only in the Lockstock, but previously saw him uh, in uh, Desmond's and, yeah, The Real McCoy. For someone to be aware of the work you've done when you've gone from just being a regular Joe, working at a regular desk, taking a regular train, and my fucking bogey's going regularly black from being on the underground on my commute to work. To go from that to being recognised by uh, someone that I idolised is amazing. So... Thank you uh, for these, that question. Um, I'd love to have them back. Also, Mamsham, because I think that Mamsham are two of the funniest 
women I've ever met. Shout out uh, the girls. Shout out the ladies. Um, they should have their own show. I want to use this time to be like, that's a question. Why the fuck TV does Mam Sham not have their own fucking show? Maria and Rhiannon, you guys are fucking legends and I love you guys. So the list is endless. There are over 200 episodes of uh, Dame Rap, please questions everything. Make sure you've listened to all of them. Otherwise, you'll miss out on all these amazing people, as well as people like Travis J, Corrupt FM, the whole gang. Um, Adam Buxton's been on the podcast. Luisa Gola. Um, yeah. So many. Even Nigel Ung, aka Uncle Roger, has been on the podcast as well. So um, if you want to see one of the best mixes of politicians, tastemakers, artists, creatives, contrarians sometimes as well, and even my sister one time, then please do continue to check out the podcast. Guys, I've been gone on for a very long time. Um, and I'm sure the question now is, will he ever shut the fuck up? Short answer is no. As you know, I've got some new projects and stuff coming up. But I felt like because you guys have given us so much over the six plus years that this podcast has been going on, I wanted to take the time to speak to you guys. And thank you very personally. This has been an amazing journey for me, not just as a podcast, but as a creative. And I... As wanky as it sounds, and as much as it looks like I should be, I should have a polar neck and be on the stage advertising a new iPhone, I genuinely think that creativity is not something that is sacrosanct to people in the industry. I think everyone has the capacity to create if we focus. And I definitely think that it's definitely the way of being able to chronicle and crystallize your human experience. So, and I think that anything about your life that you don't like, you are, it should be your human right to question it first to begin the steps to change it. So it just leaves for me to say thank you to everyone who listened. Thank you to all of my guests. Please do stay in touch. I say again, you can find me on all your good social networks. Just type in Dane Baptiste into your preferred search engine. And please do send me feedback on the podcast, all of you. Don't just listen in silence as much as I enjoy that and I enjoy the streams. I want to know what you guys think. Please look out for Daddy Dane Care in the new year. Look out for Citizen Dane as well, which I think will be another uh, podcast that I do because I'm sure we've all gleaned that after all this time, I've got a lot to say. And I want that to be able to empower and to uh, help and to entertain and make you lot just fucking laugh and smile sometimes because what else in the world do we have other than sorrow if we're not laughing? Um, thank you very much, George. Uh, you've been great. Uh, thank you for listening. And he don't even look that bored, everybody. George is a very patient man and a very well-dressed man. Um, thank you uh, to Acast as well for being our network partner as well and Spotify and wherever this good podcast has been streamed on. Please do stay in touch. And most importantly to everybody out there, do not just take reality for what it is. Every revolution, every ideological progression that human beings have made begun with someone being like, what the fuck is this shit? So stay in touch, but mostly question everything. Thank you very much and goodbye for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.